first suit on underneath the first one, and I'd have to get out of that too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully, and out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins should I have to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. If you haven't caught on, his leg was in pain, okay? So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. For I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy O, but it's fun to see it coming away. There's a little British humor there I don't quite understand. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath thou that I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, as, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. You would think me simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own, my own arms. I know they've no muscle and are pretty moldy compared with Caspians, but I was so glad to see them. After a bit, the lion took me and dressed me. Dressed you with his paws? Well, I don't exactly remember that bit, but he did somehow or other in new clothes. The same I've got on now, as a matter of fact. And then suddenly I was back here which is what makes me think it must have been a dream. No, it wasn't a dream, said Edmund. This morning, we're continuing this conversation about bearing fruit that lasts. And today, the idea is less is more. Less is more. Okay? God has chosen us to bear fruit. So when we secure our identity as God's chosen people, we will inevitably bear fruit that lasts. That is fruit that gives bountiful life. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, this is last week. Our vision of bountiful life matters because it will directly affect how we bring that kind of life into reality. This vision of bountiful life is beautifully intertwined with our identity as God's chosen people. 
as a branches on the true vine. As we are transformed in how we view ourselves, how we view God, how we view others, our vision of a bountiful life transforms as well. We learn that God doesn't view bountiful life as the world does in terms of power, influence, control, access to resources, comfortability, attractiveness, wealth, size, and so forth. Rather, God tells us that bountiful life looks like being rooted in his words, trusting in his provision, and not withering during times of spiritual drought, and bearing fruit in season as determined by him. True, bountiful life looks like simplicity, stillness, and confidence in God. If you don't believe me, go read the Psalms. After all, God's people are the shoot he has planted, the work of his hands, the display of his splendor. So, that's the recap. That's the recap. As we are transformed and take on a new view of life, we'll have to be willing to let go of parts of us or layers of us that we've taken on that aren't from God. You know what's interesting about that story of Eustace, the dragon, the dragon boy, I don't know what to call him, is that he, in the story, if you read the whole thing, he only gets to that point when it becomes too painful for him. He's like, I got to do something about this. And aren't we the same? (laughs) The exact same? We don't change until the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of the change. Because change is painful. So this includes our ego, our worldview, our philosophies, our cultural lens, and much more. This process Jesus calls pruning. In the words of John, he must become great, greater, and I must become less. When it comes to our ability to bear fruit that lasts for God, less is more. Amen? We've been rooted in John 15 for this series, and we will continue to be. But I want to backtrack to John 14. So if you have your Bible with you, you can feel free to open in that. I'm not going to read all of John 14, but we're going to kind of do a highlight reel, okay? Of a few key things that Jesus says and repeats in there. Jesus is nearing the end of his, 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 his ministry before the crucifixion. He knows this. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what God has said about the suffering servant, what's going to have to happen to him. And he knows that his disciples don't quite get that yet. And they're freaking out. Enter John 14, okay? Enter John 14. So verse 1, like I said, we're going to skip around a little bit. Is that okay? All right. If you want to, I I suggest you do read this all in context uh, later. Verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. To verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. 
Because I live, you will live too. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and will reveal myself to him. Now let's go to verse 27. Okay, am I going too fast or is this okay? Okay. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Let's not skip over those words. <clears throat> if you loved me, Oh, I skipped something else, ironically. You have heard me tell you, I'm going away, and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father. Because the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe. And this is what leads us into John 15, where we've been sitting together for the past couple sermons. Jesus tells them these things. I'm just going to leave this up here. <clears throat> Jesus tells them these things so that when things don't go the way they expected, like Jesus not being the kind of Messiah they thought he'd be, they will remember and trust in God despite the circumstances. He recognized that even though they followed him and heard his teaching and seen miracles, trials and disappointments would still produce suffering in them. <clears throat> so let's be real with us things typically don't go as expected. Right? Stuff happens. And it changes the way we view people that we thought we knew. It changes the way we view ourselves. You start to question yourself. Who am I? Where am I? What am I doing? It changes the way you view the church, God's people. It changes the way you view the outside world. Sometimes it looks a whole lot nicer. Is it quiet because this makes sense? or Okay. Stuff happens, and it can be so disheartening. It can be so challenging. It can even be faith-crushing if your faith isn't centered on who God is. And here comes the pruning, right? Because God doesn't want you to have faith in anything else other than him, and it's not because he's selfish because it's what's it's what we are made for. Because when you place your faith in anything other than God, you're going to be crushed. It will eventually fail. The only one who is I am is God. This is precisely why we must be pruned. We must be pruned. We build up false narratives and expectations for God and for each other and for ourselves. And this becomes an unbearable weight that cannot be met or satisfied. And when those things crumble, we crumble too. Less is more. Less is more. Can we go to John 15 now? Our favorite verse for this series. Starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. 
every branch of me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If you could ask a plant if it likes being pruned, what do you think it would say? And I'm weird, so my mind goes to like baby Groot in the clay pot. Does he have to be pruned? Like, how does that work? I lost some people there, sorry. But if you could talk to a plant, and you're not crazy, you could talk to a plant, you can ask it, what is that like? What do you think it would say? Oh yeah, I love pruning day, like that's the best. I think it's probably like Eustace in the dragon skin, like, this hurts. (laughs) This hurts. But it's necessary. What happens if you don't prune a fruit tree? Does anybody know? Can someone shout it out? Yeah. Ramona, you said something? Well, roses are the same. They won't bloom. They won't bloom. They'll remain tiny baby fruit. We had this apple tree in my family house. We never took care of it properly, ever. And it grew these tiny green apples. Like my whole life, these tiny green apples, we bought our family house in 2015. And the house I lived in my whole life, the tree that was always there, still produced the exact same size, tiny baby green apples. Didn't taste very good. Didn't grow well. Pruning is necessary. Pruning must take place. Pruning is not, some of us really need to hear this, pruning is not punishment. Prunish, pr- prunish, <laughs> pruning is not failure. Pruning comes with growth. You cannot have growth without the pruning. Unless a single seed dies, falls and dies, as Jesus says, cannot grow. Pruning is not punishment or failure, but it's a demonstration of love and care so that more fruit can be produced. Now, this is what the Bible says. Just a few things the Bible says. And I'm going to go rapid fire here, okay? All right, Deuteronomy 8.5, keep in mind that the Lord your God has been discipling, or disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Proverbs 3.11, do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. And then James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. How do you see pruning? Do you see pruning with a healthy eye or an unhealthy eye? 
do you see it as a consequence of some kind of failure or that something is wrong with you? Or do you see it as a part of growth and what leads to abundance? Be really honest with yourselves and think about this. How do you understand pruning? The people of God have always undergone pruning. Again, pruning enables us to remain as the chosen. It enables us to abide in him. God prunes, pruned the Hebrews when they wandered the desert for 40 years. Would you consider that pruning? Yeah. Yeah. It took one day to get the Hebrews out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get the Egypt out of the Hebrews. I didn't make that quote. I found it. It's not mine. In other places in, in, in Scripture, Egypt is referred to as a furnace for God's people. They had come to believe in the narrative of Egypt, which is the narrative of human empire and human wisdom. I would say, I think we still have some Egypt in us too. The wisdom of man still resides within us. It's still different. But it's things like enlightenment thinking, Greek philosophy, political ideologies, economic views, social constructs, cultural influences. We just go on and go on and go on. What if God's people had never did the hard work of examining, hmm, where is Egypt still within us? What did they do when Moses was on the mountain? And it was taking him a little while. Remember the whole golden calf thing? What do we do when things are taking a little while with God? Well, we just got to well, we just got to keep moving forward. We got to move forward. This is we got to do something. We need to plan. We're, we're standing still here. We're stagnant. We got to do something. We got to do something. Let's make a plan. Let's do something. Let's make a plan. Yeah. Make a change. Switch things up. Maybe what we should be doing with that time is saying, hmm, where's the Egypt in us? Where are the ways in which those things have become so deeply embedded in our religion, in our spirituality, that we can't even discern it. This is why we need each other. This is why we have the Spirit. And 1 John 4, 1 says, test the spirits, right? Test the Spirit to see if it's from God or not. You know how you test the Spirit? Put somebody into a situation and see how they handle it. What fruit comes from it? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, righteousness. You could add to that. That is righteousness. Or is it the fruit of the flesh? Fits of rage, outbursts, selfish ambition, division. Suddenly becomes really real. We each, each one of us do this every day. Why do you think Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, lead me through temptation? 
deliver me from evil. God, you. We, we sometimes, I think sometimes in the way we said it, we say, lead me away from temptation. The idea is actually, God, lead me through temptation. <laughs> Psalm 23, the, 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 shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, you guide me. I trust in your justice, God, to deliver me. I will let the injustice stand on me, as Jesus did, and you will handle this. You got this. Romans 12, verse 2, says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that... Come on, brother! Pleasing in the perfect will of God. Pruning is God working to renew our thinking away from patterns of human wisdom. Guess what? We got Jesus in our hearts. But guess who's in our bones? (laughs) Grandma, Grandpa, and all the influences that came with that. That DNA is correct. This is why self-awareness matters. And we talk about this frequently here. Not because it's some pet topic that we just really like to talk about, because this is a vital part of pruning. What if Eustace didn't realize who's a dragon? What if he looked in the water and he's like, oh, that's interesting, there's a dragon next to me. Self-awareness matters. How can we be pruned if we aren't willing to acknowledge these aspects within ourselves? Do you ask yourself these questions? Are you willing to go there? God, show me where in my life, show me in my view of you, of other people, in my view of the Bible, in my view of the church, in my view of religion, in my view of politics, all of this. God, show me what is of you and what is not. Just don't prune me in the ways that make me look better. Prune me in the ways that make me to be good. Be complete, be mature. This is something else. We're on a whole other plane now with God. And this is is how the ways of the world seep into the church. Are you, you, right? We do a lot of we talk, and that's important. But are you willing to see how much worldly wisdom has been brought into your spirituality? Mm, It is uncomfortable feels like your skin is being ripped off. It burns. That is why less is more. Does that make sense? Less human wisdom, less of our false narratives, less of our expectations, more of God more kingdom, more fruits. When we have less of those things, we can have more of God. So as we prepare for our time of communion together, I don't know what you're thinking about, but if I can guide you in something, let me guide you in this. If you go back to John chapter 14, Jesus says something cool in verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, 
and I'm the truth that leads to life. Bountiful life? Is that popping into your head? Flourishing life? Life to the full? Right? No one comes to the Father except through me. So it is here, in Jesus' words, that we remember his life and his teachings are the way to truth and are the way to bountiful life. The way of Jesus, the way of Jesus, which is to love God and your neighbor with all your heart, is the only way to experience closeness and unity with our Heavenly Father. It is the only way. Some of us want to do the will of God, but we don't necessarily want to do it in God's way. That was the problem with God's people in Scripture. It's still the problem with us today. Jesus shows us not only how to do the will of God, but doing it in his way as well. So let the message of today and our reflection and our time of communion be about less of our way and more of Jesus' way. Amen? Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we... we, we I'm, I'm, I'm without words, God. We simply ask you to do what only you can do. And we simply ask, God, that you use the advocate the spirit, the helper within, to become more like your son. To not just have the right ideas and the right view, but the right way of living and and treating ourselves and treating other people, Father. We pray for less of us and more of you. And we know and trust that when that happens, God will bear fruit for you. God, help us to think about how Jesus lived that out, how he was pruned on our behalf. Show us what that means, Father. And please encourage us and put our feet on solid ground. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.